All right. Are you ready for God's word this morning? Why don't you turn with me to Isaiah chapter six, Isaiah chapter six. And we're in a series of messages that we called here, there, and everywhere. And anyone know what we're talking about? Anybody, anybody? That's right. The presence of God. I'm just going to give you credit. I don't know if anybody actually came up with that or not. Somebody's like, Jesus, we're talking about, we're going to talk about Jesus every week. You can never go wrong with Jesus. Right? So anyways, uh, here, there, and everywhere, and we're talking about the presence of God and living aware of the presence of God. And to me, guys, if there is anything we, we leave this series with, if we just leave it with, with a consci- consciousness that in the front of our mind, um, at all times, we believe God is here and there and everywhere and that God is in us. And we talked about God's, um, we talked, we started with his omnipresence and, and we talked about there's nowhere you can run from God's presence. There's nowhere to hide. And we talked about God's manifest presence. And then last week, um, we talked about, um, God's presence, uh, in us, uh, and on us and, and with us. And so we talked, uh, about, uh, Jacob and, and we said that, Hey, we are the stairs and we are the stones. Any of you guys remember that message? Stairs and stones. They've been living like stairs and stones. That wherever God's presence is, it's the gateway of heaven. Wherever God's presence is, it's the house of God. And we said God's presence is in us uh, because of what Jesus has done and because of the Holy Spirit. So wherever I go, I'm the house of God. And wherever I go, I'm the gateway of heaven. So I should live like a stone. And we said the stone wasn't the presence of God, but it marked where the presence of God was. And it was all about honoring the presence of God. And so we want to make sure that we live as stairs and stones. This week, um, we're going to talk about Isaiah and this crazy uh, experience that he had really with the manifest presence of God. And so we're here in Isaiah chapter six, verse one, it says, it was in the year King Uzziah died that I saw the Lord. He was sitting on a lofty throne. In other words, he was high and lifted up. The, the King James is what I grew up with. King James says, and the train of his robe filled the temple. That's his garments. Uh, attending him were mighty seraphim, each having six wings. With two wings, they covered their faces. With two, they covered their feet. And with two, they flew. This is really a picture of worship. Uh, they were calling out to each other, holy, holy, holy. By the way, it's the only attribute of God that's ever repeated, especially repeated three times in succession like that. Holy, holy, holy. Some say it's the greatest attribute of God that if you really get a glimpse of God, there is, it, it, it renders you completely helpless. And all you can say is he's holy. Like there's nothing, there is none like him. There is nothing else in the world like him. So holy, holy, holy is the Lord of heaven's armies. The whole earth is filled with his glory. And their voices shook the temple. This is the power of praise. Uh, There was an earthquake and then the entire building was filled with smoke. Uh, Verse five, then I said, it's all over. I'm doomed for I'm a sinful man. I have filthy lips and I live among people with filthy lips. I think it's always crazy. They focused on lips, but... Anyways, yet I've seen the king, the Lord of heaven's armies. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a burning coal that he had taken from the altar with a pair of tongs, and he touched my lips, and he said, See, this coal has touched your lips. Now your guilt is removed, and your sins are forgiven. And then I, I heard the Lord saying, who, who, who will I send as a messenger to this people, and who will go for us? And I said, Here I am. Send me. When I, when I read this text, I was thinking about preaching on this text and, and really I was thinking about, did I, did I use worship, did I preach on worship, you know, God, what do you want me to do? And, and when I went back and read this text, uh, I guess a couple weeks ago, uh, what stood out to me was just two words, I saw. 
I saw, and this is how God does with me. We go on these treasure hunts where we had to start mining stuff out. <laughs> like it'd be nice if, you know, God would just Snapchat me with what I'm supposed to talk about. But, um, but he doesn't. He, he makes me dig, and it's the digging that makes me stronger, and uh, it also makes me learn a lot and, yeah. and, and also keeps me very dependent on him because I have no clue how to even do what I do. And, um, and so, but I saw this. I saw, I saw. So, so I, it's not going to make sense just yet. But if you want to write my, my title down, my, my title is hashtag no filter. Hashtag no filter. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for your presence. And God, that we, um, even as jacked up as we are, yet by your grace, we can come boldly to the throne room of grace and receive mercy. We can walk right into your presence. God, the holiest of all holies has somehow made a way for us. And God, we just want to live in the awareness of your presence at all times. In us, on us, around us, uh, in our world. God, you are here, you are moving, you are here, you are there, you are everywhere. And God, we want to live with eyes to see you. Um, in Jesus' name, amen. Hashtag no filter. If, if, you're on, um, if you're on social media, then you've probably seen people, a lot of people, especially like on Instagram, um, post pictures. And, and occasionally they'll, they'll post a picture and, and then they'll hashtag it. That's tag it. So hashtag it. It's, it's, if you're not, if you're like, what's a hash? It's a pound. They put pound sign and then some, some, <laughs> I want to make sure I include everybody in what we're talking about, right? Hashtag. I don't know. I had I ate hash one time for breakfast. No, no. Hashtag, um, pound sign, same thing. All right. So, um, that's what one generation does. They take whatever the generation had and we just rename it. Right? So it was a pound sign, now it's a hashtag. But anyways, they put hashtag no, no filter. And, and in fact, we, I got this picture the other day. We use Slack uh, as a communication. Isn't that a cool picture? Uh, this is from Special K. You know him as Pastor Colin, but I have nicknames for everybody. And so uh, to me, he is Special K. Um, but, but he uh, actually snapped this picture the other, in fact, October the 22nd. He didn't know he was giving me a sermon title. Um, but, but, but he took this picture. This is a lake behind his house. Uh, and he was up that morning and he saw this and he took the picture as day breaks. And it's, isn't it beautiful? I mean, that's awesome. And, and it says no filter needed, no filter needed. Um, and, and if you're in the world of social media and you understand that the hashtag no filter, then you also understand that we live in a day and age where people snap pictures, but now there are all these filters that you can put on, on them. And in fact, some of your top five filters, your, 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 um, your uh, Clarendon and your Gingham and, and your Juno and your, and your Lark and your Mayfair. These are like top five filters on Instagram right now. And these are different filters that you can put over the picture that you took. And it just makes it look a little bit different. Sometimes it accents certain colors. Sometimes it diminishes. Sometimes it brightens. Sometimes it darkens. And sometimes it makes things more vivid and, and that kind of thing. And so what happens is because all of our photos end up being filtered, when we finally capture a photo that's good enough as it is, is we now have to hashtag it. There's no filter. This is just how it actually looks. I'm concerned sometimes um, that people, if they see themselves in the mirror, are going to freak themselves out because we have so filtered ourselves in our own Facebook and, and Instagram, right? We, and we've, we've, we've so filtered ourselves that if we saw ourselves, we might say, who's that? What are they doing in my house, right? Um, but there are times, just like, just like Pastor Colin, when there are times when you capture and you just think, man, we don't need a filter. This looks, it's, this is, I want to see it just as it's supposed to be seen. 
And, and I really think that's the impact of God's presence is that God's presence in a way removes filters that Satan and the enemy and, and the world try to put over our lives where, where we don't actually see what's really there or where we see what's there, but we see it jaded. We see it skewed. We see it through a filter. In fact, I'm concerned sometimes that we have so many filters over our lives that we can't really even see who God is, and we really can't even see who we are anymore because we're living filtered lives. And I think one of the reasons that we need to come into God's presence and into his truth is so that we can see things in truth, and we can see things how they're supposed to be, right? And this is what I see in this text with, with Isaiah. Now, to understand this text, then you have to understand that God never puts things in the Bible to make it longer. Like if you've ever written a book, and, and I haven't, but I've talked to the publisher and I've talked to uh, some people that have written books, and, and they're like, you know, a lot of times they tell you, you got to have this many pages to have a book. You got to get to this, this many. That's why a lot of books, you can read the first four chapters and put it down, because they're just going to say again what they said in the first four chapters, because they've got to get to 165 pages, right? And nothing against that. It's just what the publishers want, right? And so, um, and so, but the Bible's not like that. See, God wasn't trying to get to a certain number, number of pages. In fact, John tells us if, if they'd written down everything that Jesus did, and that's not even talking about all the history because the Bible kind of covers a lot of history, like from the beginning of the world pretty much to, to the end of it, right? There's a lot of history. And, and, and so John tells us that if we were to put everything that just Jesus did, we're talking now about 33 years, really about three years. Think about that. His ministry was three years. If we put everything that Jesus did in those three years and we actually put it in book form, that he supposed the world could not contain the volumes. He was busy, right? And so God's never throwing in details just because he's like, well, I need to make the book of Isaiah longer. I mean, it's already 66 books, the longest book in the Bible, right? And so, um, and so we need to understand that everything in there has a context and it gives context to this. And we're going to understand what's going on in Isaiah chapter six. And we have to understand really the first eight words of verse one, that it was in the year that King Uzziah died. Why is that important? Who is this king? Well, I'm glad you asked. Well, King Uzziah, um, <laughs> King Uzziah was actually the king of the southern kingdom of Judah. So uh, David, Saul uh, ruled, he was the first king. He ruled over all of Israel and then David ruled over all of Israel. And then Solomon ruled over all of Israel. But after Solomon dies, the kingdom divides uh, with Rehoboam. And, and so we end up with a northern king of Israel and a southern king of Judah. And King Uzziah, uh, if you trickle down a few kings, um, if, you, if you get to about 790 uh, BC, then that's where King Uzziah is actually going to become king. Um, and, and he becomes king at the age of 16 when his father dies. I know that's kind of thing about that. It's crazy. Like at 16, you just want a car, right? He got the briefcase with the nuke codes in it. Right. And, and, and so like, not just like he was just hoping for a nice chariot and, and now he, you know, can, can hit the red button. And so, um, 
And so anyway, so he becomes king at the age of 16. And, and here's what you need to know, because a lot of times if you're reading the Old Testament, it feels like Game of Thrones. Like this, this guy was a king, then that guy was a king, then this guy became king, then this went kingdom. That, that, that. But here's the thing you need to know about him. He was one of the best kings. Uh, in fact, he could easily put him top five. I mean, you have, you have some pretty, I mean, you have David and Solomon. I mean, they, they're, they're, they're amazing. Uh, and you do have Jehoshaphat. Um, but really, I mean, after, I mean, you really kind of get, you know, and, and Hezekiah comes on strong later and leads a revival after Uzziah. But really, he's got to be top three, top four kings, right? He, he really top three, top. In fact, um, his reign was 52 years long. And aside from really Solomon and maybe Jehoshaphat, it was one of the most prosperous reigns that the people of Judah had ever experienced. He was a phenomenal leader. He came, came to the throne at the age of 16. Um, and what he said is, I don't, know how to, I don't know how to be king, but I do know how to seek the Lord. I don't know how to be king, but I do know. I'm wondering what you don't know how to do that would be swallowed up by what you know how to do. I don't know how to be a dad, but I know how to, I don't know how to lead this company, but I know how to seek the, I don't know how to be a husband, but I know how to, like, like maybe the greatest skill you could have as, as a leader or in your vocation is just knowing how to seek. Like there's a great sermon right there. And so here's the deal God said, he said, as long as you seek me, Uzziah, I'm going to prosper you. I'm going to make you great. I think it's a promise that God still gives us today. Like, as long as you want to seek God, he will still make you great. As long as you want to seek God, he'll take care of the details. What is that scripture? I think Jesus said something in the New Testament that was somewhat relevant to this conversation. Where was it? Let me see if I can find Oh, yeah. Uh, Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added. Does that really work? I don't know. We, we could ask Uzziah. And so he becomes king, and for 52 years he reigns. Here's a cool fun fact, if, if you want one. Uh, the first, uh, the inaugural Olympiad in Greece was actually during his reign. Absolutely. And, um, and it was the, that was a, the inaugural Olympiad, and they have a few, then it goes out of the way, and then it returns, like in Athens, Greece in 1896. But, but the first one, technically, was actually during his, his reign. Um, and so he sought the Lord, and God, God prospered him, and God gave him, um, the, the Bible says something about God giving us kind of nifty inventions or nifty ideas, one of the versions says, and that's what God did, is, is that Uzziah um, actually becomes such a strong leader and such a powerful leader because God not only gave him favor, he said, as long as you seek me, I'll give you favor, but God will give him these incredible ways to lead in these incredible ideas. Now, how did he get these ideas? Oh, he would seek the Lord, right? And in fact, if you want to read about some more about his reign, you can read in 2 Chronicles 26, but um, 2 Chronicles 26, 14, watch this. It says, and Uzziah prepared for his army, shields, spears, helmets, coats of mail, bows, and stones for slinging. Stones, not rocks. Stones for slinging. Look at verse 15. It says, in Jerusalem, he made machines that were crafted or invented by skillful men to be on the towers and the corners to shoot arrows and great stones. Leave that up there. Time out. He invented machines that could shoot arrows like a semi-automatic arrow launcher. Like, like no, no, no lie. And then he created these, and I don't know, Wikipedia kind of has their own version. But this said, I mean, I'm going to go with the word of God. He created machines that could hurl great stones off a wall. I'm going to call that a catapult. 
If not, it was the precursor of, right? And so, so he fortified the city and they had semi-automatic weapons and catapults. I don't know how to win in life. Maybe if you'd seek the Lord. Like, God, how do I make this business more prosperous? I mean, seek the Lord. It's crazy. Anyways, um, but, but look, here's, here's the bad thing. Here's the bad thing. Last sentence, verse 15. And his fame spread far, for he was marvel- marvelously helped. That's awesome. Until he became strong. Until he became strong. Um, the bad thing was the, the end of his life wasn't that good because he did get built up in pride. And he had a marvelous reign, and Judah prospered. Um, but about 16 years, um, about 16 years before the end of his reign, uh, he went into the temple, and there were sacrifices and offerings that only the priests were supposed to, to give. And, and he decided that he was going to do what the priests could, could do. And the priest came in and said, what, stop, what are you doing? You, you can't do that. You're not a priest. And he pretty much said, I can do anything I want. I'm a king. And God struck him with leprosy. And he spent the last 16 years in seclusion. He's still the king, but he's in seclusion. He had to appoint his son, Jehotham, to take over. Um, and, he, and here's the bad thing. The Bible says this, for the last 16 years, years, he couldn't go into the presence of God. He couldn't go into the temple of God. Um, but it was, a, it was a phenomenal reign. And so now, now back to the context, um, it was in the year that King Uzziah died. What, what is it like? Think about this. He reigned 52 years. Like our, our, our president's, you know, four or eight years. But what if this, if you're like Isaiah, this is the only king you've really ever grown up under. And you've never known a king except one of the greatest kings of Israel. And, and you've never seen the famine and you've never seen some of the chaos that comes when kings don't seek the Lord. And now you're, you're Isaiah and Kennedy was just assassinated. You're Isaiah and 9-11 has just happened. It was in the year that King Uzziah died. What, 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 what happened? That I saw. It was in the year... See, we all want to see. It was in the year that King Uzziah died that I, I We all want to see, but God sometimes is more easily seen in the valley than on the mountaintop. In fact, God is celebrated on the mountaintop, but he's known in the valley. It was in the year that King Uzziah died that I, I saw. And when I read this text, I saw four filters that I think the world or the enemy, Satan, however you want to phrase it, um, I do believe there's actually a Satan because the Bible seems, I mean, God seems to believe it. I know a lot of people know there's no devil. God, God seems to, <laughs> according to God, he, he seems to believe he is, right? There's no hell. Jesus, Jesus talked about it. Um, might be convenient theology, but that doesn't make it true. And so, so I saw four filters that Satan... I think tries to put over our lives. And the first one that you write this down, number one, the situation filter. The situation filter. Um, in other words, Satan loves to make sure we see our God through our situation. Think about what I just said. What does a filter do? It changes the way you see reality, right? 
And Satan loves to make sure that we see our God through our situation. He's the God that didn't come through for me. He's the God that doesn't know where I'm at. He's the God that doesn't seem to care for me. If he were God, would I really be going, I must be in the wrong church. Y'all have got it all together. Bring, bring in the messed up people. Where are they at? These are all saints. I need some people like me. I'm the only messed up person here because I'm the only person that's ever had a situation filter. Um, he, he loves for us to see um, our lives without hope. And situation filters have a way of filtering out hope. Oh, God could never, never restore our family. God, God could never prosper me. God, I, I, I'll never get beyond depression. I, I'm always going to have these panic attacks. Uh, my kids, my kids are lost. They're never going to come to the, to the Lord. He, he loves for us. He loves to filter all the hope out of our situation, and that's really what we see here with Isaiah, because Isaiah has got some filters over the situation. And the biggest filter is, see, the Assyrians are becoming a world power. And the only thing holding the Assyrians off is the fact that we've got Uzziah the king and his, his semi-automatic arrow launchers, right, and his big stone-throwing things. And we've got armor and all this other stuff. And so if he's gone, and we already know jo- Jotham, uh, his son, he's, he's kind of been in charge for 16 years because Uzziah had to go into hiding because of leprosy. Um, we know he doesn't, he doesn't have it. He, he's not the leader. He, he's not as strong as Uzziah. And as soon as people find out Uzziah, as soon as the Assyrians find out Uzziah is dead, what are they going to do? They're going to come for us right? They're, they're going to come. And if not them, the Babylonians right after them. And so, so he's sitting here thinking, there's no hope because Uzziah just died and he's seeing his situation without God in it. And not only that, he had the Assyrian filter, but he also had the Uzziah filter. In other words, all of his hope was actually in Uzziah, not in God. I wonder who your Uzziah is. And your Uzziah may not be a person. It may be a thing. What's your hope in? That if you lost that, you would lose hope. And it's not even connected to God. This is great preaching. If you've ever wondered what great preaching looks like, now you know. No, you don't have to clap. You didn't clap the first time when I said all that. It's too, don't give me an apology clap. Somebody got to start the slow clap. No, I don't need that. When I say, you need to hear me, when I say that, I'm as shocked as you are because it didn't sound this good when I wrote it. I'm like, my God, this is good preaching. And I think God's like, I know, I know. <laughs> but here's the, here's the great thing. Let me, on his worst day, where does, where does Isaiah go on his worst day? To the temple. There is a place to go on your worst day. There's a place to go on your best day. And time out, I need to say something just because I'm your pastor, I need to pastor. Can I pastor everybody really quickly? I am so thankful to God that we have technology and that we stream our services at 930 and 1130 and eventually we'll stream all of our services. And I am so thankful and we will continue to upgrade our technology because we are getting testimonies all the time of what God is doing from people, not in our area, but people literally. And I don't want to brag, so I'm not going to call out a bunch of because people say, oh, now he's a celebrity. I'm not a celebrity. I'm still a moron. But God uses Balaam's donkey and I'm okay with being a donkey. And so, 
And so, so, but, and so I am so grateful of the testimonies and the things that God is already doing as, as we are streaming services and putting them out there. I'm so grateful for that. But listen to me very carefully, very carefully. There's a difference between watching what goes on here and being here. And, and we have this technology, right? When you see the cameras and all that, just think missionaries, Thing, missionaries and God's already using it. And, do, and in fact, there's some things we're going to do after first year. It's going to blow your mind and we're already working on it, but I can't tell you about it because it's just too, too early. Um, but, but God's using it and we're so thankful for that. And however people come to the message, where it's podcast, YouTube, I'm, I am so, so, so grateful, but please do not use technology as an excuse to stay home. Because we want to come into the presence of God. And I know God here is here, there, and everywhere. But Paul said, hey, don't, don't forsake the assemblings of yourselves. Don't, don't forget to come together as a family because there is something about cumulative and collective anointing and glory and power that, that can be experienced when we all come together that can't be experienced. And, and I'll just give you one example. Most of the time when you watch the live stream, most people are going to watch worship instead of worshiping. And there's a difference. And so I'm so, listen, if you're sick, please watch it. If you're, if you're out of town on business, please watch it. If you're on vacation, please watch it. If you want to watch the 930 to get primed for the four o'clock, I'm totally fine with that. But don't turn the 930 on and say, oh, this was just good. I'm going to sit in my PJs. And, and listen, if you're watching right now, no condemnation, we'll see you at four. Um, seriously, I'd love to see you at four or six and so, or 1130. You still have time. And, and so, and so don't, don't, don't take any condemnation away. I want, it's there. We do it. We, we want you to come to church online, but don't let it take the place of gathering with your family. Don't let it take that. Don't let it have that place. Okay. So let's, let's fight to understand it's a powerful tool, but let's not let it keep us from even what God wants for us. Amen. Can you hear my heart on that? And so, so like it's, I mean, yes. Amen. So anyways, he, on his worst day, that was my commercial on his worst day, came to the presence of God and uh, on his worst day came to the presence of God and he came into, into the temple. Um, and, and here was the thing this is what, this is what happens. Uh, verse verse five of Isaiah six, we, we, we said this. So he comes in and, and, and this is what happens. He says, yet I have seen, this is what happens when he comes into God's presence. Yet I have seen, listen to me. I have seen the King, the Lord of heaven's armies. Notice the capital K. I have seen the King. And what God immediately showed him is he had a situation filter. And that he came into the presence of God and God pulled that filter off and he said, hey, a good king may have died, but the great king is still on the throne. A good king may have died, but the great, and that's what God does. We get, we get our, we, we start seeing God through our filter and, and our, seeing our situation or seeing God through the situation filter. And what God wants to do is say, let me pull the filter off just so you can see me. Just, I want you just to see me apart from your, in fact, I want you to let me become the filter you see your situation through. Do you hear what I'm saying? I don't want you to, I don't want to, I don't want to be on the other side of your situation filter, but I'm okay if your, your filter or your situation is filtered by me. And so Isaiah comes in, he's like, we're doomed. Uzziah's dead. And all of a sudden he said, I saw the king, the Lord of heaven's armies. And he said, all of a sudden I realize a good king may be dead, but the great king is still on the throne, man. That is good preaching. You see here, here's the truth of it. Because Isaiah, listen to this, because Isaiah was looking through the wrong filter, he was putting faith in the wrong thing. Because he was looking through the wrong filter, he was putting faith in the wrong person. 
And that's what happens a lot of times. People even say this, well, many, you know, pastor, we either, listen, we either need God to come through for us or we need, I'm like, why don't you just stop at the first thing? Like, pastor, we just need God to come through for us. That's, that's, that's really all we need. And, that's, and God wants to. God wants to come through for us. The Bible says he will never leave us or forsake us. The other day, I, I love to quote my grandfather's favorite passages uh, because he used to quote them in the barn while we was taking care of the cows in the garden. Like when we're bailing hay, I remember, son, I've never seen the righteous forsaken or a seed begging for bread. That was his favorite. He quoted that a hundred times a day. I've never seen the righteous forsaken. In other words, God's going to come through, son, every time. God, he called me, son. With my grandfather, you either a son or a hun, depending on your male or female. Females were huns. All the males were sons. And so he says, son, I've never seen the righteous forsaken. Or, and this is what he's saying. God wants to come through for us every time, son. It's not like we need God to come through or we need, no, 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 no. We just need God to come through for us. And God wants to come through for us because God wants us. He, listen, he wants, listen, it's not, listen, listen. I, I just, it, while I was saying, listen, listen, I said a whole paragraph in my mind. <laughs> if, if only my mouth could keep up with my mind. That, like I'm on to point four already. But, but here's the thing. God's presence magnifies. It makes God bigger. Like when we come into, like when we come into church, sometimes our situation is big. And that's what Isaiah came in. He's like, this situation is big. And he's like, oh my Lord, God opened his eyes and removed the filter of the situation. And he said, oh, God is big. Psalmist said it this way in Psalm 34, verse three, it says, oh, magnify the Lord with me. Oh, magnify. Who makes God bigger? You. Wait a second. How do I make God bigger? Listen, God's a constant. You can't make him bigger or smaller, but you can make him bigger or smaller in your life. Oh, magnify the Lord. What's he saying? Hey, let's exalt him. Let's put him above our situation. Let's put him above our problems. See, it isn't your situation that makes the difference is how you see it. Don't believe me? Ask Joseph. Joseph, by his brothers, thrown in a pit, sold as a slave, ends up in a prison in, in Egypt, Right? And then finally is, is anointed and appointed the second highest in command. And his brothers show up and they're scared he's going to kill them. And, and they start all the apology. Like, what would you, like, wouldn't you apologize? And here's what Joseph said. Oh, you thought you were throwing me into a pit. And that's what I thought too. And then I realized, no, you were just throwing me into God's purpose. It's not your situation, it's how you see it. It's a situation filter. Here's the second thing. It's the pride filter. Oh, oh. Preacher, let's just go to the next point. <laughs> you know what Satan loves to do? He loves to convince us that we're okay without God. Don't believe me? Ask Adam. Adam and Eve said, you know what? We found a way to get what we want apart from God. Surely nobody would ever try that. I mean, surely we'd never try to, to get blessing apart from God or have a relationship um, apart from God. Or surely, surely we would never get so comfortable depending on ourselves that we would forget. I mean, what did Samson say? He knew not that the presence of God had left him. And this is, listen, this is one of the big things that we need to come into the presence of God for is because when we come into the presence of God, all of a sudden we get to see who we are without God. 
See, because if we don't know that we're completely destitute without God, we might think we can make it without God. Remember King Uzziah? Remember he got built up in pride? Second Chronicles 26, 16. This is, this is what's terrible. It's written, it says, but when he had become powerful, he also became proud. When he became powerful, he also became prideful, which led to the downfall of one of the greatest kings of Israel. Why? He said, I, don't, I can do what I want to do. I don't, need to, I don't need to do this God's way. I can do it my way. I'm the king. Like, do you understand? And here's the problem is Satan loves to convince us that we can make it without God. And one of the reasons that we need to come into the presence of God is to be reminded every time that, no, 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 no. Without God, I'm a hot mess. Without God, I, there, is, there, is no, there is no hope for me. In fact, um, you know, the, the people that Jesus dealt with the most that had this pride filter were actually the religious people. Go figure. The only people that couldn't see Jesus at all were, were the religious people. And, and so there's this interesting thing that happens. There's this man born blind and the religious people of the day, because they had no power, they had religion. See, religion is celebrating form over power and, and they had no power, but they had great form, right? And, and, and so there were no miracles, obviously, um, but, um, they, but they looked really holy. And there was this man born blind. So they came up with these ideas that everybody that was born blind or sick or lame, it was because of the sin in their life or the sin in their parents' life. And so uh, someone starts this whole crazy thing was, who sinned that this man was born blind? And Jesus is like, man, what have y'all been smoking? This is, this is fallen flesh and an opportunity for the glory of God. And Jesus heals the man and now he can see and now it upsets the religious people. Isn't that crazy? Someone delivered from being blind since their birth didn't create a revival. It, it, it like created political religious unrest. Like we got to get to the bottom of, of, the, of these perpetrators. And so anyways, it's, it's all kind of boils down to this conversation uh, that they have. In fact, you can read it in John chapter 9. But, but Jesus finally says, look, I came into the world to render judgment. But he said, I also came into the world to give sight to the blind. I came into the world to give sight to the blind. But then he says, but I also came into the world to show people who, can't, people who think they can see that they're actually blind. Like I came to give sight to the blind, but I also came to, to, to tell some people who think they can see that you're actually blind. And so then they're saying, are you saying we're blind? <laughs> I don't know. Let me, let me kind of deconstruct the sentence. Yeah, I think that's what I'm saying. In fact, Jesus goes on to say, Here, here's what I'm actually saying. This is kind of cool. He says, if you were blind, you wouldn't be guilty. But because you won't admit that you're blind, you're going to remain guilty. Like Jesus just took the knife and just turned it. Because here was what these people thought. They thought, we can see. We don't need God. We don't need this Jesus guy. No, we're totally good. We can see without him. We, we, we don't need him. They were so built up in pride. They said, we don't need him. And Jesus said, hey, that's why you're blind. And you're going to stay blind. In other words, he said, he said here's the filter. They had such a pride filter that Jesus called it blindness. He said, pride will keep you blind. Pride will keep you blind. And that's why we need to come into the presence of God because 
pride will convince us we're okay when we're not okay. Like we have a church where it's okay to not be okay. It's okay to not be okay. But pride, you know, that's, that's, that's called humility and reality of knowing where we're at. But pride will say, no, 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 we're okay when we're not okay. Isaiah, when he saw the Lord, verse five, he said, I, it's all over for me. Look at this. It's all over. <laughs> it's been good. <laughs> like I'm a young man. I'm not going to see my whatever birthday it's since I'm doomed. Why? Because I'm a sinful man. He saw who he was without God. Yeah. I'm a sinful man. I have filthy lips and I live among a people with filthy lips. Yet I've seen the king. See, God's, God's presence brings the truth that we desperately need. God's presence brings the truth because without, listen, without his presence, we might live thinking we can see when we're blind and we might not be able to see how desperate we are and we might not be able to be, be able to see how sick we are or how lost we are. There's another place where Jesus told, he said, look, if you would admit that you need a doctor, I'd heal you. He's talking to the same people, the religious people. He said, I didn't come to, to, to find people who thought they were righteous. I came to find sick people and tell them they could be righteous. But because you think you're righteous, you're going to die in your sickness. I mean, it's pretty much what the same thing, same context, pretty much just telling them that. Uh, that I think that's in, in Matthew 9. But, but here's the thing. When, when we don't have the truth filter, right, and instead, instead we have the pride filter, we'll think we're okay when we're lost. We'll think, no, it's okay to be a Christian, be swapping right on Tinder. That's what everybody does. Everybody hooks up every week with somebody new. I mean, we're trying to find the right one. It's okay to sleep with it uh, before you're married to it. That's, that's completely all right. It's, it's okay to do this or to do that, to act this way, to do this thing, in, until we come into his presence. And when we come into his presence, we're like, no, I don't, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't have this together. God, I, I, am, I am doomed. It strips the pride away. I, I can say this. Pride will keep you from presence. But presence will keep you from pride. Pride will keep you from presence. See, God will be all you need when God is all you see. And, and here's the thing. It's okay to see the reality of who we are without God. You know why? Because he has a cure for it. Which brings me to my third filter, the guilt filter. So the situation filter, pride filter. Now there's the guilt filter. Because here's what the enemy, the enemy loves. Like, isn't it crazy that the enemy will come to church with you to convince you you're not worthy to be here? Isn't that kind of crazy? Or, or better yet, he'll convince you to stay home. My grandfather, this is another H.B. Byram right here. Reverend H.B. Byram, thank you. Satan will convince you to stay home and then go to church in your place to make sure no one else receives from God. Like he is, he is strategic. He'll say, no, you stay home. You, you shouldn't go. You're, you had a bad week. He, you know what you did last night. You know what you did last summer, whatever it is. And he will convince you to stay home. Then he will go to church to cause a ruckus, which is Southern terminology for disruption. You need some Southern terminology. And so he loves, he loves us uh, to stay in guilt, shame, and condemnation. Uh, and he'll actually use guilt, shame, and condemnation to keep us from the presence of God. And this is what ha happened to Adam. Adam. The Bible says that Adam partook of the fruit he wasn't supposed to take of. And, and immediately his eyes were open, but this was a different way of opening. And all of a sudden he had the sin filter and the guilt filter and the shame filter. And the Bible says he hid from the presence of God. 
that guilt, shame, condemnation will keep you from. That's why the enemy wants to keep reminding you you're guilty and keep reminding you that you're shameful and keep condemning you because he, he knows that he can make you feel so bad you'll stay at home. And so he loves for us to, to see who we are with, without God, you know, or, or to see, he loves to convince us we're okay. The pride filter is you're okay without God. But then we say, we're not okay without God. Look how messed up we are. He jumps over here and says, yeah, you're so messed up. You should be guilty all the time. I'll give you the guilt filter. If the pride filter won't work, the guilt filter will. And, 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 you know, he, the Bible says he's an accuser of God's people. The book of Revelation says, but you know, what's crazy. Do you know what he uses to accuse you? Facts. That's why it works, right? Because, I mean, unless you're completely out of reality, you know you don't have it all together. In fact, the Bible says we have all sinned and fallen short of God's standard. So he doesn't have to make stuff up to falsely accuse us. He just has to remind us of what we actually did. Right? And it works because you're like, yeah, I mean, I mean, here's the prosecution. Didn't you do this? Didn't you? Yeah, I did. Yeah, I did. Yeah, okay. That was me. But I love what Paul says to the Corinthians because here's what Paul says, 1 Corinthians 6, verse 9. It says, don't you realize that some of you, um, that those of you who do wrong will not inherit the kingdom of God. Don't fool yourselves. That's the pride filter. Those who indulge in sexual sin or who worship idols. By the way, this is a New Testament Bible because it's going to say some things. You're like, you mean God still doesn't want us to do that? I think sometimes we're, <laughs> we're confused nowadays, but I just want to point out this is not the law. This is the New Testament. It's a letter to the Corinthians. Okay, those who indulge in sexual sin, who worship idols, commit adultery, who are male prostitutes, I think it's safe to say female prostitutes would have made the list, who practice homosexuality, who are thieves, who are greedy, who are drunkards, who are abusive, who cheat people, none of these will inherit the kingdom of God. Paul, this is not sounding like your greatest message. Not sounding like an encouraging sermon. And then he gets to verse 11. And some of you were once, underline once in your Bible, were once like that, but I love big butts in the Bible because <laughs> they cannot lie. But some of you were once like that. <laughs> Y'all calm down. But some of you were once like that. But look at this. But you'll never read this verse again. But you'll never read your Bible again. It's a but. I'm going to big butts in the Bible. Anyways, but you were cleansed. You were made holy. You were made right with God. Who, when you called on the name of the Lord Jesus and by his spirit, what Paul said. Yeah, you did it, but yeah, he cleansed it. Yeah, you did it, but yeah, he delivered you. Yeah, you really did it, but he's removed your sin as far as the east is from the west. And so when Satan says, hey, don't you remember what you did in your past? Say, yes. And that's why I love big butts, because that's not me anymore. I did it, but now I was a slave. Now I'm a son. I was lost, but now I'm found. I was bound, but now I'm free. I was blind, but now I, I was sick, but now I'm there. I did it, but that's not who I am anymore. Because my identity doesn't come from my faults. My identity comes from my father. <laughs> That's what happened to Isaiah. It's so awesome. I love having fun in church, man. It's the best place, man. Isaiah 6. The angel came. It's verse 6 and 7. The angel came and touched his lips. Why his lips? Think about this. Isaiah is going to be a prophet. Like he doesn't know it really yet. But think about this. 
God will purify the dirtiest place in your life and then use it for his glory. Like what the presence of God showed Isaiah, the dirtiest thing in his life were his lips. Oh, you should write this down. Because we come into the presence of God and his presence will purify the dirtiest place in our life and then turn around and use that to gain the most glory through our life. Touch the coal to his lips. And look, it says your guilt is removed and your sins are forgiven. See, Satan will come to church to condemn you, but God comes to church to cleanse you. Satan will come to you to cleanse, to, to condemn you. But when we step into the presence of God, he cleanses, he cleanses us. Here's the, here's the fourth, the fourth filter, the confusion filter, the confusion filter, because you got to go back to the context. Remember what's going on. Like everything is, everything's lost. Everything's unsettled. Like where is Israel? Where is Judah? Where is Judah going to be? Like what's going to happen now? Uzziah died. Jotham is, is not going to be able to take over or he is, but he's not going to be the king Uzziah is. And so now what, what, what do we do? Like, can't you see the unsettledness this will cause? Because it's kind of like, you remember I mean, if, if my lifetime, the biggest thing I remember is 9-11. And I remember thinking this, this changed everything. Like I woke up one morning and I remember Julie was pregnant with Luke at the time. And I thought, my God, what, what are we bringing this child into? People just flew airplanes into the, the trade center. Like this is never like this. Wars happen on other soils and, and in other countries and not in, not in the middle of Manhattan. You know what I'm saying? That's, that's, not, that's not supposed to be a war zone. Kind of like Columbine. I was a student pastor when Columbine happened. I thought, this, you're supposed to be able to be safe when you go to school. Like, who ever thought about kids killing kids at school? Like, this is, and I remember how unsettling, and it just kind of said, where are we, how is this going to work out? I mean, surely you can remember this, whether it was Kennedy's assassination or, or, or something else, whatever you lived through. And I think this is where Isaiah's at. He's like, I, I don't even know what my life's supposed to look like. I don't even know what I'm supposed to do with my life. Like, I don't even know what my purpose is. I don't know what I'm called to do. I don't know, I don't know, I don't know anything. But he comes into the presence of God. And he's stressed and he's uncertain. What it was the future hold? What is my place in the future? And then verse eight. And then he hears God say, Whom shall I send? And who will go for me? And he said, Here am I, send me. It's interesting that Isaiah, this is actually, all theologians would agree, this is actually Isaiah, even though it comes in verse 6 or chapter 6, this is actually his calling to be a prophet. And on, on the day of the most uncertain, probably the most uncertain day he had ever experienced, is when he gained the most clarity and certainty about how he would spend the rest of his life. See, this is why you come into the temple on your worst day. This is why you come into the temple and uh, in, in, into the presence of God in the worst day. Because in the day, in the day when you're most uncertain, God will think, make things most clear. Because he'll say what the enemy used against you, God's going to use for his glory. And so he comes in and, 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 and here's what happens. He, he ends up being a prophet for 64 years. 
Think about this. He wasn't a prophet, came into God's presence, and, and God, and, and most people believe, or, or there's a lot of ideas about how, how Isaiah came on the scene. Most believe he was from an influential family. Some believe he's an aristocrat. Some believe he came from a prophetic family. Maybe his dad was a prophet, even there's no record. There's just one mention of his dad in Second Chronicles, uh, I think, 26. Um, and and uh, some believe he came maybe from a priestly family. No one's really, really certain for sure, but here's what we are certain of. In Isaiah chapter 6, he becomes a prophet. And he becomes a prophet, and he ends up prophesying for 64 years. And he actually becomes the most prolific um, and most quoted prophet. In fact, Jesus quotes him more than any other prophet in the New Testament. And aside from the Psalms, he is actually quoted more than any other Old Testament book in the New Testament. 21 direct quotes are, are to his book. In fact, his, his Isaiah, 66 chapters, there's 66 books of the Bible. It becomes known by theologians as the Bible in miniature because it kind of follows the same kind of ideas and tones and themes of the whole Bible, but it's yet all encapsulated in these 66 chapters. In fact, he prophesies the virgin birth and he prophesies the suffering Savior. He prophesies things that are going to happen 700 years later with accuracy, and he prophesies both advents of Christ. That's right, him coming both times. He, he prophesies all of that. Um, and the Roman historian and theologian Jerome actually said of Isaiah, this is a quote, he said, he was more of an evangelist than a prophet because he described all of the mysteries of the church of Christ so vividly that you would assume he was not prophesying about the future, but rather was composing a history of past events. In other words, he, he had the details. He knew, he had the texture. He knew what was going to go on as God revealed it to him. And so, so here he is confused about what his purpose and what his place is in life. And then he comes into the presence of God and God begins to make it plain. See, in God's presence, listen to me, no matter what's going on in your life, in God's presence, life makes sense. Yeah. Don't believe me? Ask the psalmist. Ask the psalmist. Psalm 1611 says, you will show me the path of life. Now, where am I going to find the path of life? In your presence. In your presence is fullness of joy. And at your right hand, pleasures forevermore. God, I'm just confused. It's not clear. I don't know what my life's supposed to be about. Oh, but if I go into your presence, you'll show me the path of life. If I go into your presence, I can experience fullness of joy. If I go into your presence, I can experience everything that you want for me to experience. In fact, Isaiah would prophesy in Isaiah chapter 30. He would say, when you're not really sure, you're going to hear a voice from behind you. Why is God behind you? I thought he was in front of you. God is in front and behind. The Bible says he is leading you, but his glory is also your rear guard. God's always got your back. God, God will always, and so you're going to hear this voice coming. Hey, this is the way. Walk in it. This is the way you're supposed to go. Walk in it. In God's presence, life, life, becomes, life becomes clear. In the moment of the greatest uncertainty, Isaiah gets a calling that makes the rest of his life very certain as to how he's going to spend it. This is why we come into the presence of God. Why do we come into the presence of God? Because we, we are impacted. Flesh is always impacted by glory. And we come into the presence of God. And when we come into the presence of God, he's able to remove some of the filters this world and, and Satan has put over our life the situation filter, the pride filter, the guilt filter, and the confusion filter. And we leave the presence of God knowing who we are without him, knowing how clean we are because of him, knowing that we can see him in every situation and we're going to see our situation through the God filter. And most importantly, we leave his presence knowing what we're called and purposed and destined to do and that God has our back and that God is leading and God is 
guiding and he's making sense of everything that happens as he is leading us into what he has called us to. Amen. Can you give God praise for his, for his presence? Why don't you, why don't you stand?